Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We're back with new episodes in 2017, telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics across the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, and if you'd like to get involved with Diabetics Doing Things, all you have to do is shoot me an email or reach out via Instagram. What's up, everybody? Rob Howe here. Uh, Just wanted to throw some gratitude your way this afternoon because we just crossed over 25,000 downloads all time for Diabetics Doing Things, and I owe that all to you. So thank you guys so much for listening. It totally makes my day whenever you tell me that the podcast has affected you positively in some way. So keep listening. I appreciate you to the max. All right, let's get back to the episode. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. Uh, We're back telling the amazing stories of type 1s and all the things that they do outside of their disease. But uh, I'm very, very, very excited to introduce you to my guest today, uh, Miss Devin DeSilva, calling from Chicago today. Devin, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fantastic. Um, really, really excited to uh, kind of get everybody in behind the scenes of, uh, of the things that are going on in your life and, and uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, gain a little bit of inspiration there. Uh, and I think for you specifically, and this is sort of what stemmed when you reached out to me, um, you are a fitness bikini competitor. If, uh, and, you know, as a type one, I feel like that's a, that puts you in a sort of rare group. And we're really excited to kind of talk through um, not only, you know, how you got to that point, but, you know, things that you've learned about yourself and your diabetes since then. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to tell my story for sure. So uh, let's kind of start from the beginning, um, as we do, and uh, kind of give us the background on your diagnosis. Yeah, so I got diagnosed um, with type 1 diabetes when I was 16 months old. So I have had it, I'm now 26, um, I've had it for obviously pretty much my entire life. Um, as far as my diagnosis, I actually just had my mom retell the story recently um, because she was really there for it. Um, her and my father were very instrumental in making sure that I was set off with a good road to start with um, as a diabetic, which it's so rocky, especially for two new parents, um, you know, with their daughter only being 16 months old at the time. So it all started um, actually at McDonald's. So gosh, that's where great all great diabetic stories begin and end, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we had gone, I really, it was a hot day. I really wanted, um, a burger and, or like a happy meal and, and, uh, some milk. And so my mom got the happy meal, gave me the milk and I just drank the milk. And typically kids will go for the fries or the toy, you know, something else besides milk. And, um, I finished the milk and asked for another one. My mom's like, well, that's kind of odd. So she thought about it a little bit um, and ended up calling my doctor and said, hey, listen, I feel like something's a little off. You know, my daughter is acting really thirsty. Uh, my, my My doctor's response was, well, I'm sure it's just because it's a hot day out. Like, don't worry about it. And I ended up, you know, going through, I was, I was peeing a lot. So I had gone through a couple of diapers and my mom's like, no, this is really strange. You know, I need to get her checked out. Brought me into my doctor who then told my mom to take me immediately to the emergency 
room. And there um, I got my blood sugar tested and my blood sugar was about 600. And of course, the initial reaction from, you know, two new parents is what's happening to my child. And so they started this whirlwind of learning how to give their 16-year-old diabetic child shots. Um, the 16, as a 16-month-old, you know, as a baby, it's, it's difficult enough to get them to sit still, but to get them to sit still and also give them uh, shots is very difficult to watch um, and also very difficult to do. So that's kind of where that all started. Um, and it, it's very interesting just in general to see how far we've come with um, as far as diabetes education. So when you start out as a new, newly diagnosed diabetic, um, now I'm hearing of all these great stories of how um, children have learned how to give themselves insulin shots and they're really put through a specific program whereas they were still trying to understand diabetes at that time. So you can understand it was a little bit of a rocky road, um, but they did a great job. I mean, here I am. So <laughs> it worked out pretty well. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you make a great point that we've made so, so many huge strides in terms of diabetes education. Um, in, you know, really in the last 10 years, you know, since I was diagnosed even. And um, something that I talk about a lot is that my experience being diagnosed at Children's Medical Center was, you know, fantastic. It's an amazing hospital. It's, you know, a, a top pediatric hospital in the world, and they have an amazing endocrine team. Um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't know any other way. And so it wasn't until later when I was started doing this podcast when I realized that so many people's diagnosis experience uh, varies. It's like either they got a DVD in another language and were said, hey, good luck. Or, you know, they had something like me where I spent four or five days in the hospital getting uh, educated. Um, right. I, I kind of want to focus on something and I have a quick question for you. Are, were you your parents only child at that point or were, uh, or maybe still? I was their one and only. I'm no longer. I have uh, a little brother, too. So, you know, like you said, being a new parent, um, you know, and that being your only experience and maybe 16 months in, like just getting used to like the idea of having somebody else and, and, and learning to be a parent, but then, you know, throwing diabetes into that. What, when your mom and your dad talk about that, um, it, what, what kind of emotion, what were they going through? What were they thinking about? What was, uh, you know, how did it, how did that affect them? Um, depends on what day you ask my parents. So, um, I will tell you that it was very emotional for them because you never want to see your child put through any sort of pain, nor do you want to be putting them through what seemed like physical pain at the time because you have this needle that, a, that you, when you look at it compared to a 16-month-old child seems absolutely huge and you're trying to now stick your child's finger about eight to 10 times a day, maybe even more because you're worried um, that their blood sugar is dropping because they might not be able to tell you. Or, you know, you're giving them an insulin shot anywhere from five to 15 times a day. I mean, it really depends. 
So a very emotional time for them. Um, sometimes when we retell the story, you can kind of tell that it it takes takes them a while to talk about it. Um, and I think that's just because it makes them relive it a little bit. And it was terrifying for them to see because ultimately you really don't know what's going on with with your child. And so you want them to be healthy. You want them to lead um, a very fun, fulfilled life and you really want the best for them. So what it brings into question is really what what does the future of my child look like? And I think that was really difficult for my parents to figure out at the time because they didn't know. And so all they had to go off of was that maybe that week long that we were in the hospital. And then they spend time questioning, you know, well, what what's going to happen to my child when I put them through school and I'm not going to be there? Or, you know, how are they going to handle this when they go away to college? I mean, all of those thoughts are going through their head when I got diagnosed. No, and I think you hit it right on the head, right? Um, and especially from that diagnosis point, you're going to get different opinions or, uh, you know, medical opinions even um, on what the future of your child looks like. Um, and then you, you know, it's, it's your opportunity as a parent to react to that and then, you know, and take and, and take that, whether it's a good outlook, a positive or an optimistic outlook, or it's more on the pessimistic side. I think I've, I've, I've had people on the show who talk about, um, you know, doctors saying that they wouldn't make it till their 30th birthday that, um, you know, from the start, you know, that's, that's quite the diagnosis, you know, that's quite the downer walking out. And I think, you know, where I'd see, you know, a lot of type ones are successful and myself included is that like their parents took ownership of, Hey, I'm going to do whatever I can and learn whatever I can to make sure that my child, um, can live their life to the fullest and, and also do whatever they want to do. Um, right. So uh, let's taking that sort of point of view. How did how did that uh, you know and your parents you know saying hey what, what's the future of my child look like? Um, how did that manifest itself? What uh, you know going through and growing up? Um, anything stand out? Yeah, actually, a couple things. So our biggest um, our biggest roadblock or whatever you'd like to call it or challenge as my parents and I would like to call it was not our doctors. Um, we had great doctors, um, and I actually had the same endocrinologist up until I was about 18. So they kept me on, like I think it was a couple years after I was 18, and it was a pediatric endocrinologist, but she was fantastic. Um, you know, they really, they really provided the best care for me, and. Um, new recommendations. I was one of the, one of their youngest patients that they put on a pump at the time. My biggest challenge, um, and my parents' biggest challenge was school. So I, um, went to all of Mary Stitt. Um, it was a elementary school in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And I distinctly remember being in, so they had our classrooms and they were combined with first through third graders. And so you really get um, a diverse group of students in those rooms. And as a diabetic, 
you know, you may have to take an extra trip down to the nurse's office and kids don't really understand that. And when children don't understand something, it manifests itself in negativity because they automatically put you in a box of, well, she's not normal. And so like everyone else I'm sure has experienced, we had bullies at school and at one point I was out, out on the playground minding my own business. I had um, a group of about five to eight um, little girls running around the playground following me, calling me Diabetes Girl. And as a third grader, you can imagine that is traumatizing. And so I was eventually backed into a corner where I turned around, stood my ground, and said, back off. Now, what you'll find very interesting about this story is I got in trouble. <laughs> I was the one that got in trouble. So I told these little girls to back off and I was sat down by the teacher and then the principal with my mother and told that I shouldn't have done that. It was incredible. Um, my parents were furious, ended up pulling me out of that school after third grade and I went to St. James Middle School where we had a fantastic principal, uh, Mr. Messina at the time. And we wished that the bullying would have stopped with a different school, but it didn't. Um, it just came up in different ways. And I had become stronger from the situations that, have, that had happened at Olive Mary Stitt. And so, I found different ways to handle those situations, you know, ignoring it or standing up to bullies and saying, you know, cut it out. And at this school, what the difference was is that I had support from my principal who would talk to these students and tell them, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. This is not okay. This is not how we bring you guys into this school. And that was something that I didn't have at the school I was at prior. But I think an important lesson, right, uh, from your from your parents at that point is that, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have your back, in and because you're right, this is a, this situation is wrong. We're gonna go where you know where we can be successful and say you know rather than somebody who's maybe more small minded. Yep. So, you know, going forward, like with that, you know, and you mentioned like you did change the way that you responded to those bullies and, uh, you know, thankfully had more support behind you. What, what difference did that make for you, you know, going forward as, as in not necessarily in a bullying, but maybe overcoming a stereotype or doing something that's more outside the box of what someone would typically think a diabetic or some, someone with type one or type two diabetes would do, um, you know, breaking that mold. I mean, and I'm, I think specifically now I'm talking about um, your fitness competitions. Um, how 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 did those like formative years and those decisions and like standing your ground there 
change the way you looked at your the rest of your life and your the rest of your possibilities? Yeah, so what I really spent a lot of my time doing um, is instead of instead of focusing on you know how do I how do I handle the aggression I'm getting from these bullies and how do I how do I turn this into a positive spin? And so my positive spin was educating people. And it was educating my friends at the time of how to handle a diabetic. And, you know, what happens if your blood sugar goes low? What does that actually mean? When I'm giving myself insulin, what does that mean? So my life started to become, you know, I was Devin the, you know, the student and Devin the daughter and Devin the swimmer. But I was also Devin the diabetic who would help you understand what I was going through. And so as I went through um, high school and then into college, I really focused my time on breaking barriers that a lot of people said I couldn't do. Um, a lot of people said I couldn't be a successful bikini competitor um, just because it's very difficult for diabetics to lose weight um, and cut down to a low body fat as a diabetic competitor. I tried to do my research and tried to find out as much as I could about type 1 diabetics competing and had a very difficult time. So I sought out um, my coach. Her name's Kelly Tenuta, and I joined her team called Divine Athletes. And she had never trained a type 1 diabetic before and said, you know what, that's fine. We're going to do this. Um, she has now been my coach for three years, and we have broken barriers that people couldn't even think were possible. I have competed in... Um, nine shows, two of which have been national level. And so a national level show means I had to place at least top five in a local level show to be on that stage. Um, and in five of my nine shows, I placed in top five and I um, placed in the top 10 in those other two shows that were not the national shows. So we're clearly doing something right. Um, and I'm just here to share a little bit about um, how we've gone down that journey because it is very difficult. It is different. And um, it is something that I would challenge other diabetics to try if they're interested and just take the plunge and, and do it. Um, you'd be amazed at what you learn about yourself. Well, and I really want to focus on sort of that journey, right? So, um, if I'm, if I, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but just some of the research that I did. So really in 2013, you started this journey and I think you, you mentioned you've been with your coach for three years. So you've, um, you've been doing this three years and you've had awesome success really right at the get go. So, um, talk about some of the challenges. Um, you know, I, with my athletic background as well, I know that there are days where either because you have had a tough blood sugar day or 
just from a fitness recovery or preparing for a workout and everything's been the same and or you but you have you've eaten the same you've gotten the same amount of sleep but your blood sugar is just out of whack um, or you crash after a, after a workout for some reason and, and you can't figure that out. Talk a little bit about the day-to-day struggles. So, because obviously you don't become a bikini competitor with that type of success overnight. Um, take us through that sort of day-to-day. Yeah, so um, when you start, so typically my seasons are 15 to 20 weeks long. So that's 15 to 20 weeks of a training season. Um, and the last about 12 weeks of that is a deplete. And so a deplete is where you're actually cutting weight. Um, and that's where your focus is. And so you're also cutting your calories at the same time. So for me, um, previously we have started out very slowly. And so what I mean by that is, Unlike um, a competitor without type one diabetes, we have to give our we had to give ourselves a buffer time because I had I needed at least two or three weeks to figure out how my blood sugars were going to react to what I was doing, and to actually do that, um, what I did is I put everything in an Excel spreadsheet. And this is just like my type A personality. I put everything in Excel spreadsheets. It helps me keep things organized. Um, But what it looked like is essentially you have your date, your time, your blood sugar, and then um, how much insulin, your insulin to carb ratio. And then you look at your correction factor and how much insulin you gave for your correction. And then lastly, what I was doing at that time. So if it was a pre-workout or post-workout. Now, the luxury that I got is that all of my meals were the same seven days a week. So that's something that my coach really likes to hone in on is that you're eating the same things. Um, which makes it incredibly easy to manage my blood sugars. So I can take three to four days, look at it and say, okay, I'm always running low after this um, time or after this workout. I either need to move my meals so I have a meal with carbs or I need to move my workouts or I need to adjust my insulin. So it kind of allowed me to do that analysis that if I would not have put all of that down on an Excel spreadsheet, I wouldn't have looked at it as closely. So really, I mean, consistency, obviously, I think is is a huge thing there, but also commitment to tracking. Right, absolutely. Um, and additionally, it it's helpful to know kind of that, you know, if you have a coach it's good to know that they're there and they're listening to you and they're understanding and being flexible. So I am lucky enough to have a coach that actually gives me meal plans, whereas most coaches will give you macros and say good luck. So a lot of times if a diabetic is looking to compete and they get macros, they're like, well, I could have a Quest bar this day and and, uh, salmon and potatoes at the same time the next day and that really messes with your blood sugars because both of those types of foods will interact differently right so i think and i think 
what you're saying really is that uh, committing to a relationship with a coach or uh, as you're preparing for really anything, whether it's a bikini competition or like a Spartan race or just a 5K or even, you know, even something simple like going to play 18 holes of golf, like um, understanding kind of where you're at from a blood sugar standpoint, what you've eaten and how that's going to react to your body is, is going to give you some sort of success. Right. And so what, where it gets really interesting is as a type one, um, I can put on muscle a lot easier than the non-diabetic competitor. Now, is that, is that a factor? uh, And I'm sorry, I cut you off. Uh, is this an insulin factor? Are we going to discuss a little bit of that? Yeah, so insulin, um, being a hormone, it actually helps you to build muscle. Um, And what it doesn't do, though, is help you lose weight. (laughs) So I have great off-seasons because I can put on, you know, more muscle. But then when it comes to, you know, shredding it down, it's, uh, it's more difficult. And so because of the insulin injection sites, um, you actually, if you don't rotate your sites, you get scar tissue, which tends to show the appearance as you lean out, um, of cellulite. So for years and years, I, um, gave myself insulin shots in my legs. And now when I start leaning out, you can tell that it looks like I have cellulite, but I can assure you it's not. It's the years and years that I have of scar tissue on my legs. And um, so a lot of what our focus is on during my season, um, and when I say a season, it's that uh, 15 to 20 week prep season where I'm cutting down. It's also a lot of, um, you know, rolling out my legs, trying to break up a lot of that scar tissue. And I've actually started to spend, you know, full year off season staying away from my legs as far as injections go, because I really need to allow those, um, allow those cells to kind of get, get back to where they were and allow some of that scar tissue to break up. Well, and I think that's something that, you know, a lot of type ones, whether they're, you know, competing with their bodies or not deal with is like, when do I rotate? You know, how do I, cause I, I feel like everyone has some sort of self-consciousness about scarring and about uh, scar tissue buildup. Um, I, I know for a long time, I only wore my pump sites on my stomach. So I have and kind of like the sides of my stomach. So I have scar tissue there and I've Fortunately, in the last year or so, um, thanks to the encouragement of one of my friends, uh, have been moving my sights around more and and varying them and have a more uh, a systematic approach to it, so that not one particular piece of my, part of my body um, gets abused. I guess, for lack of a better term, from a from a sight perspective. But I think you know, obviously, with you, as it could affect your uh, you know your score and and the way you perform. Um, you know, what, what other, what other areas have you found to, uh, to, to give yourself injections since you now no longer use your legs? Yeah. So I, um, when I took my off season this past year, I was like, you know, I'm going to stop doing my legs. I'm going to stop putting insulin in my legs. Uh, and then I'm like, all right, well, I need to find a different system. (laughs) And so originally my system was, 
Okay, well, Mondays I'll do the back of my left arm. Tuesdays I'll do the back of my right arm, you know, and so forth. And I decided that's way too complex because then you forget. And um, like everyone else, I'm busy. And so I'll end up doing my right arm on a Monday when I did that yes yesterday and I shouldn't I shouldn't have. So I decided to keep it simple and just do um, left side, right side. Super easy to remember. And I will do the backs of my arms. Um, my long acting will always go in my glutes. And I try and stay away from my hips because, again, those were my, um, my favorite spots to do insulin shots. But what I've, the place that I've actually found that a lot of people don't like is, like, right on your side. Because I have just enough there um, where it isn't an area that's been touched before. It's, like, right above my hip and, like, right below my rib cage. And you can kind of go in a, um, a line as far as like when I'm doing them throughout the day. So I'm not doing the same site over and over again. And I then I know also if I notice that like my blood sugars are running a little bit higher that day, that maybe I'm hitting some scar tissue there. So my backup site um, is always my stomach. Because that I know if I need insulin and I need it to react quickly, my stomach I never touch. So I know that that's where I do my injection site. It's kind of like an emergency injection site. It's like the but, pull this in case of uh, in case of fire, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and it's worked well. So um, I keep up with it, and that system that system's worked for me. Um, I know that a lot of diabetics say it's so painful, like wherever I do injections, it's painful. You really just have to kind of try and and find the place that works for you because I never in a million years would have guessed that that little spot right above my hips would have worked for me, but it does. And so it's just more of a challenge for as a diabetic to say, okay, this might be out of my comfort zone, but let me try it once see if it works and if it does then you found a great new spot oh absolutely and i think you know you came down to it it's all about what works best for you uh you know whether that's pain or convenience or whatever the case may be um i want to shift gears a little bit um i want to talk about you know as you were going through this process over the last three years and really putting in this work um were there any other like type ones? I know there are a lot of type one bodybuilders um, or, you know, people who run Spartan races or ride, uh, do a lot of cycling. Anybody in particular that you looked at and were like, wow, you know, if they can do it, so can I. I have had um, amazing people reach out to me. Um, and I've learned a lot about what other people go through as type one diabetics that are either just looking to stay in the gym or um, or they were just diagnosed and they're trying to figure out how to how to figure it out. Um, those are the people that are more impactful to me are the ones that reach out to me because ultimately they're seeing me as somebody that that they can talk to and kind of pick their brain. I actually just had somebody reach out to me recently and say, hey, I'm looking to compete. Where do you where do you do your injections? Like I don't see that you have scar tissue. Where do you do those? 
Um, and it's amazing to see the support from one type one diabetic um, in the fitness world to another. And that support really kind of warms your heart. It's something that you don't see in all sorts of communities, especially the fitness community. Um, the fitness community can be very dark sometimes. It can be very competitive. But us type 1 diabetics, we really like to stick together. And it's something where I have type 1 diabetics that, you know, comment on on my pictures and like my photos on Instagram and they're saying, hey, listen, I see you, you're doing a great job. Teach me what you do. Let me understand what you do. Um, and I'm at the same time, I'm here to support you. Like I'm here in your corner cheering for you and I may be halfway across the world. And that's something that is so amazing that you find in this sport, that little group that is sitting there and really watching you from afar and they're always there to be a listening ear or to understand your journey and they know what you go through and they understand it which is just it's so incredible i can't i can't even put words to it it's just so great <laughs> well and it's interesting i i talk to people a lot about different types of communities online, uh, you know, in my like professional career. And then also talk a lot about the diabetic community with, uh, w when I do in interviews and things like it's very unique. I think we take it for granted sometimes, but it's so encouraging. It's so selfless and it's so, everybody's so willing to lend a hand. And I think it's also, uh, really like reached kind of not critical mass, I would say, but it's grown a lot in the last year, year and a half, especially on Instagram. And I think, you know, that's a benefit of like hashtag searching like people can find find what they're interested in and find the people and then like reach out directly and talk to them and have a conversation and i think um you know ultimately that's that's what's so cool about you know everyone is is you know in myself included the only the only way i have the interviews that i have is just to ask if they want to come talk about it and like nine times out of ten uh in the type one community you ask somebody for help like they're gonna respond and like and be willing to help you and i think that's so so rare um yeah. and you know you don't you don't get to pick your family uh and nobody picked to have type one but i'm glad that we're all in this together just because it's everyone's so giving and and uh and so welcoming and it's just so unique and i and i always really want to make sure that people know that like if you're out there feeling alone like there are a million, you know, 1.25 million of us here in the U.S. and, you know, millions of others around the world who are totally willing to have a conversation. All you have to do is reach out. Right. And I mean, oftentimes it's, it's crazy because you get the type 1 diabetics that will reach out to you and saying, I got diagnosed when I was a teenager. It turned my world upside down. And that really... I mean, it really puts things in perspective because I, I've had diabetes for almost my entire life. This is all I know. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to understand that everybody comes from, um, while, while we all have the same disease, everybody comes from a different place. You know, they may have started and not been bullied. You know, they may have been diagnosed and not been bullied. Or, like I said, some people, their lives get turned upside down, and they're really just trying to grasp what life used to be like and how to how to go back to 
feeling like they belong sometimes. And really, I would challenge anybody, if you have somebody reach out to you um, and they're looking to pick your brain or they're just looking to talk or they really just want to understand your journey, don't shut them out. It's not worth it. It only takes about five to ten minutes to talk to somebody and to keep an open mind and to let them know that you're there just to listen and that you're there to also share your story and let them know that they're not in it alone. And it, it's something that, you know, we're really, we're really blessed with. It is. And I, and I think, you know, it's certainly worth like, you know, just continuing to mention over and over. And, and like you said, it doesn't take that long. Continue to be open, continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I always ask this question, um, and and I and lately I've been trying to figure out how to tailor it to get maybe a little, a little bit different responses. But for you, somebody who was diagnosed very young, I'm sure you don't remember life without diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you tell either a someone who's been just recently diagnosed as like a teen or a little bit older, um, or at the parent of a young child with type one? Uh, what's the one thing that you would tell them? I would tell them never to give up. Don't let this disease think don't don't think that because of this disease you are not going to be able to accomplish wonderful things. Do not for a second. And as a parent of a diabetic, don't ever think that. And make sure that you're there and you're supporting your child and and you're there telling them that everything will be okay. They will still accomplish great and wonderful things. And while some aspects of their life may change, it will build them up. It will build their character. It may not seem like it right then and there, but it will. And you will, you will be stronger from it. And oftentimes people don't believe that, right? You know, you go through an obstacle in your life and you're like, gosh, when is this going to let up? But it happens for a reason and you will get through it and you have a support system. And if you don't know where to go, something you can ask your doctor about, you can use your friends as your support system and just keep a positive and open mind in do your best to continue on with the life that you have and try not to lose sight of that. Oh, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it's really important. Like maybe that reinforcement um, of that mm-hmm. idea of like never give up. I think, you know, we're, and we're all in this together. Right. Um, and, but I really, really liked what you said about, um, like for parents of diabetics, like, you know, it will pay off in the long run. It's hard to see that now in that moment, but, um, yeah, really strong words. I appreciate it. Yeah. Devin, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. This was fantastic. This is great. Well, it was great to get to know you a little bit and, um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to kind of follow you in your journey as well. Um, for our listeners uh, who want to follow you or get in touch with you on social media, uh, where this is your chance to sort of plug your profiles. Yeah, so my um, Instagram name is at D 
Dev Dev, so D D E V D E V. Um, and then Instagram or uh, Facebook is Devin De Silva. So um, I was just talking to Rob about this before, um, but I'll spell it out because I get lost a lot of times on social media. But it's uh, Devin D E V A N and De Silva D apostrophe S I L V A. And so I'd love to connect with any of you guys. Um, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to share mine. And I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, that's awesome. And yeah, uh, just for the record, for the listener's record, I did pronounce Devin's name correctly the first time. So <laughs> I will go on record saying that. He got brownie points. <laughs> I love it. Uh, thanks again, Devin. And uh, you know, I'll obviously include links to your profiles in the show notes, but I really appreciate you coming on. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. I'm going to try a new thing. I'm going to start sending out a Friday newsletter with just my thoughts for the week and some questions that you guys have asked either on social media or that you emailed me. So if you want to do that, just subscribe on the website, diabeticsdoingthings.com. See you again next time.